Good morning. It's good to see everyone. I love this phrase. The Bible is God's great story of reclaiming a broken world. Isn't that cool? No matter where you turn to, God is redeeming something. This is actually taken from uh, Ray Vanderlaan. I don't know if you are aware of him, but he is a guy that does the So the World May Know series of uh, videos. If you've never seen them, look them up. It's worth it. But brokenness is a part of our uh, world, and that brokenness sometimes, <laughs> quite frank, quite frequently, at least in my life and maybe yours as well, <clears throat> the brokenness displays itself in fear. Is that about right? Sound good? Yeah? It doesn't take much to make us fearful, does it? Uh, we have a choice. We can either uh, live in that fear or we can fill, be filled with faith. I prefer the faith uh, way myself. Um, I learned long ago that living in fear is not worth it. It will eat up your joy. It will eat up your happiness. It will eat up everything if you let it. I would rather be filled with joy. So God is reclaiming this world, <laughs> oddly enough, one person at a time. And he does that through you, through me, one person at a time. Which is very different than what we're probably going to be talking about today. Um, Genesis 12, I, the reason why I wanted to put that up there was God owns everything, doesn't he? He owns the world. We're going to die. What's going to happen to your stuff when you die? Well, it's going to stay here and you're going to go on and guess what? Someone else will have it. And when they die, what will happen to this stuff? Well, it's going to become someone else's stuff. And that stuff is going to stay around and we really don't own it, do we? But we tell ourselves we do and we spend a lot of time... Like me, moving dirt around at a house, that's a drag, let me tell you. I've been doing that all summer long. Um, and why am I doing it? Because I figure I have to take care of this property. And I think God is honored in that, that we, that we are using his creation and taking care of his creation. But we've got to know it's not ours. It's going to be someone else's when I die. Uh, maybe Caitlin's. Never know, right, Caitlin? Caitlin's thinking, oh, yeah. I've seen how much you work around here. Hopefully you can get it all done before I take it over, right? Yeah, I hear you. Um, so anyway, uh, God owns it all. He owns the universe. He's the creator. He created all things. All things exist because of him. So, Jim, where are you going with this? Well, if he owns everything, really, what's of value to God? What's the value? What's the great value to him? Anybody? Thoughts? People? Us? Yes. But, and he loves us, doesn't us? He loves us all. He loves, he loves Christians. He loves people of all kinds, non-Christians and Christians. But what does he love even more? What does he treasure even more highly than that? Well, with Abraham, it, and he said it plainly, Faith. Abraham, I'm calling you out of a land, away from your father's family, to go to a place I'm not even going to tell you. I just want you to step out and follow me. You don't know which way you're going. You don't even know if you're going right or left when you walk out the, the village gate. And Abraham follows God and goes. He goes to a place where God would lead him. Does he own it? No. Does he ever own anything? No, not really. He owns a little piece of land that he buries his wife on. That's it. But he said, God said he would give him the land. Well, he didn't give him the land directly. He gave it to his descendants sooner or later. But not during Abraham's lifetime. But Abraham still believes God in that belief. That's what God, that's what God holds dear. That's 
the gold standard of God right there, faith. So what do we do? He highly, uh, he, he highly values faith, so what do we need to do? Well, we need to place our faith in his words and his ways. When we do that, that's going to bring him his greatest treasure is our faith. Faith as opposed to fear. Fear is an interesting thing. Wow. It doesn't take much, does it? Car could break down. What are you doing? Fearful. Can I afford this? Can I get the work on time? You know, what's the deal here? I think I could change this tire out in time and still make it to work on time. I don't know. Um, so fear just, just eats away at us. Or maybe you aren't feeling very well and you're wondering about your health. Fear, right? If that's not bad enough, we want to turn on entertainment. We turn on the TV. Oh, yeah, we don't do this anymore. I'm sorry. I'm so old-fashioned. Okay, that's better. TV, right? So you hit the uh, remote. TV comes on. What happens? Well, hey, you're old, right? You need to buy these pills. It'll make you young, right? Oh, you're feeling uninformed? Well, that's okay. You're being fearful about being informed. Turn on the news, right? Oh, you got those wrinkles. No problem. We got shots for that. Fear, 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 fear. Everything just seems to be fear. It's a general fear. It's not really personal. It's just kind of suggestions, right, that are made. It gets more interesting, though, now that we have the Internet. Oh, That's fantastic. I'm not a technophobe. Don't get me wrong. I love technology. I think it's great. But I think we have to use it with a great deal of, of, um, I'd say, moderation. And you get on social media. What do you see? Well, my friends are having such a great time. And you're sitting there thinking what? Wow. I'm not having as much fun as they are. Right? Wow. Wow. Um, maybe my relationship is not as good as theirs. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe. And it eats away, but this time it's really kind of insidious. The internet has tailor-made it to eat away at you specifically. No, it's not general anymore. We're not just watching commercials. No, no, no. This is specific. This gets very specific to you. And it eats at you personally. And it will undermine your relationships. You're going, nah, I'm not buying it, Jim. It's okay, you don't have to buy it. It's all right. Um, I wouldn't. But think about a couple of things with me. When I looked up the word um, fear for the sermon, I thought, hey, what does it say for fear out there? And I got about 34 million hits. Wow, that's quite a bit. Looked around at that. Um, a little bit, and then I looked up anxiety. You know, I preached on anxiety, I think it was last time, right? And it was about 34 million hits. I looked up love. Now listen, I'm just using a general search engine. I'm really careful about where I go. I do not go anywhere that I don't know where I'm going. I don't go looking around. I'm not on like YouTube going, hey, what's new today? No, I never do any of that. All I do is I go to specific, very, very specific sites. That's all I do, and then out I go. Because otherwise, you're going to get trapped, right? So I look up love. And it's a lot like when I had my phone. I could be talking. I, I do, guys, I, maybe you're like me. I do talk to text. I live with women. They like to text, right? And so I had to go, you know, on the old phone, one, two, three, one, one, two, three. And it took me like forever to make a, a text message. And I'm like, this is killing me. So I just call. Because that's kind of most of the guys' way, I think. Guys just call. Guys, am I right? Do we just call? Yeah, thank you, guys. Bless you, guys. Way to go. Yeah, I just call usually. Well, now that we have the talks to text, that's great. But how does it go from Hey, honey, how you doing today to throwing an F word in there? What? I never use that, ever. I have fallen out of the attic, and yes, 
my wife can attest to this, no profanity came out of my mouth at any time. My wife has been married to me for 32 years in December. 32 years. Have you heard profanity come out of my mouth? No, never once. I could smash my finger with a hammer and it ain't coming out. Why? Well, it's a part of my faith with Christ, right? It's a part of my relationship with him. I don't want to offend him. And I don't want to hurt my relationship with him. But that's really not my point. My point is what? How does the phone come up with these words that I've never used? And then it says, well, we're making it. We're tailoring it to you. Uh, What? Tailoring it to me? I think they're tailoring it to the lowest common denominator. That's what it seems to tailor to. But I looked up this search on love, right? Same thing with the computer. Don't use it for anything inappropriate. Never seen anything inappropriate because when I plugged it in, before I plugged it in, I prayed to Jesus. I said, let me use this computer never to look at anything I shouldn't see. Let me never go anywhere. I'm never supposed to go. And may I never hear things that I should never hear that are dishonoring to you. I made that prayer before I plugged it in. And I've kept that. Praise God by God's grace. Well, why am I saying this? Because when I put in love, what pops up? Well, I got about 64 million hits, twice as many hits. That's good. Love is more popular than uh, fear or for anxiety. That's nice. But I get this scantily clad lady that's just down here, and it's a part of a movie. But she's right on the top. And I'm going, what? What's up with this? And you're going, well, yeah, that's about right, right? Is that what happens? Something pops up like that. It just pops up there, and it's a movie. And the movie title's Love. But I don't think so. I don't think that's what love is. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is my question to you. Who's in charge of the Internet? Is it God? You guys are going, no, I think it's us. Why is it when I look up love, there's not one picture of Jesus, but I get a scantily clad woman? Really? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? So, um, I put down that fear started in the Garden of Eden, Um, I don't think any of us would have any doubt of that. Um, The garden seems to be the start of a lot of things. But um, it was interesting to me that Satan had given them a choice of good and evil. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, all they had was good. (laughs) Why would you choose evil? Why would you even want to know about evil? I mean, you've got nothing, but, I mean, they were the ones that could uh, genuinely say the very common and popular phrase, it's all good. Because for them, that's all it was. It was all good. There wasn't anything bad. But yet, they chose to be like God, to replace God with themselves. I'm the destiny. Pardon me. I'm the one that chooses my own destiny. Hmm, interesting. Do you guys feel fearful? Anybody feel fearful in here? The fear? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, thank you. I've got some interesting... My next slide. What if Jesus were coming to see you? You knew he was coming right now to see you. That fearfulness that you're feeling, how are you feeling now? Feeling better? How many of us went, I feel a lot better. If I knew Jesus was coming to see me, that fear is, how many of us was like, yeah, if he's coming to see me, my fear's gone. I would. Jesus is coming to see me. Wow. Cool. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pray right now real quick to start our, um, the rest of our message. So if you bow your heads with me. Lord, 
we love you. We are thankful that you're in our lives. And we're thankful that not only do you, um, do you, you're with us. You're with your people. So we don't need to fear because you are with us. May we be... Um, May may we be aware of your presence in our lives when bad things happen and fear wants to take um, our minds. Help us to reorient our mind on you. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to just remind us. Remind us of something here today. May you use it somehow to be, uh, to bring someone closer to you. Maybe make Help someone to come into your uh, kingdom today, into, your re- into a relationship with you, so that you could give them fear, replacement with, with faith. Faith in you, getting rid of fear, giving us freedom, giving us freedom from fear. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we give this time to you. And may you help us to see how we could Put it to work in our lives through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What if Jesus was coming to see you? (laughs) When I wrote this, probably a week and a half ago, (laughs) I was hoping Gloria would be here because I just know what Gloria would say. If Gloria knew Jesus was coming to see her at your house. Dennis, she would say, Dennis, you better get this picked up, right? I gotta get, how many of us went, yeah, we gotta clean up, we gotta pick up our house. I just chuckle about that because it's kind of like you're assuming that Jesus doesn't know what your house is like before he gets there. (laughs) He does. He really knows what it looks like. So there's no need to pick it up. Just let it go. Don't be afraid. Just welcome him there. But I feel a lot calmer if I knew that Jesus was with me rather than the things that are, when the things go on in my life that are hard. Knowing Jesus is going to be with me. And Christian, I would say to you, he is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Do not fear. Do not fear. Have faith. So, he's coming to see you. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, if he's really coming to see me, I'm going to have a different, I'm not going to be so happy about that. Why? Because you're going, I don't know why he's coming to see me. Well, if he was coming to see you because he loves you, um, would that change your response? Maybe. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, then you would be afraid, right? Because you're thinking, whoa, when people talk about Jesus showing himself, I've always thought of that as judgment, right? He's coming to judge me. And I guess if you were, if you're feeling like he's coming to judge you, you would want to run. And I don't blame you. I would want to run too, but there is no running from him, I don't think. He is the creator. He is the one that knows all things. He knows all things. He knows where all the hairs from your head have fallen today alone and where they'll be a year from now. He knows where every one of the molecules that you're breathing right now, he knows where each one of those are going and where they will be in 100 years and beyond. He knows where the molecules are. He knows where every piece of your skin has sloughed off your body and is on that sofa, yeah, that's what makes old sofas heavy, just a little. You can laugh at that, thanks. I would appreciate it. makes it look like I'm funny. Thank you. Um, Judy, go ahead, and we'll just go to the next, go to the next one. Um, anyway, today my uh, um, scripture is the raising of Lazarus. Why did I choose that? For a good couple of reasons. We're going to find out who Jesus is. Specifically, probably his most important statement in all the gospel of revealing himself, of who he is. And it's also going to help us that when we're in times of difficulty, this is who we need. We need Jesus. We need the one that resurrects. But I'm getting ahead of my story. 
So, a man uh, named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, I put a small sentence in there. Don't worry about it. It's green. Um, the reason why I put it small is because it's a statement where John is, te- it's a parenthetical statement that John is telling you. What's parenthetical is, is it's like a side note. He's saying, okay, um, now that Mary, Mary and Martha, Mary is the one next in the next chapter is going to be wiping Jesus' hair. Sorry, did I say hair? I didn't mean that. He's, she's going to be wiping Jesus' feet with about a $50,000 ointment and, wipe, and drawing his feet with her hair. So that's a parenthetical statement. He, she's going to do that in the following chapter, and we can see why. But he continues the story. Um, her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, I love this, your dear friend is very sick. <laughs> you know what I need you to know today? I need you to know that you are Jesus' dear friend. Each one of you. You're his dear friend. And we could actually use that in a prayer. We could actually say, Lord, your dear friend Jane. Lord, your dear friend Bobby has a broken arm. Can you heal her arm? You could use that. So, Lord, your dear friend is sick. We can use that in our prayers. And I love that. What a great statement. Does Jesus come right away? Does he go, oh, my friend is sick. I got to go. Does he do that? Anybody throw out a guess? Yes? No? No. No, he doesn't. Bring glory to God. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Jesus is saying, I'm pointing others to God. I'm not pointing them to myself. God always is interested in growing people's faith. If you're a Christian, God is always interested in growing your faith. How does he do that? He brings difficulties. He allows difficulties to happen in our lives. Everything should be for the glory of God. Jesus lives to bring glory to God, and this is um, so that we are filling our, uh, the very reason for which we were created, to bring God glory. When we go through hard times, difficult times, times at work, remember, don't respond like the other people around you. It's okay. Pray. Pray should be the first thing that we do. And rest assured that God is with you. And he's going to have others facing you, most likely, to show his glory, which is you, by your faith. Glory to God, I put a, a, a scale up there, um, a, a weight scale. Why would I do that? Well, it's interesting. When I did the word search on glory, glory in the Greek is doxa. And in the Hebrew, it's kavad. Here's the interesting thing about the Hebrew word of Glory. The Hebrew word actually means to put more weight. Social weight. So it means to put more weight on one side of the scale. It means to add to the display of God, of who he is, what he does. Adding to the display. Adding to his fame. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Is that a little better? Adding to his honor. Hmm, that makes more sense, right? Jesus is going to reveal his awesome power to bring what I call the very dead back to life, which is what he does. But he doesn't just do it then. This is not the only time that Jesus um, brings back the, the dead. 
those that become Christians, I was once dead. When I wasn't a Christian, I was dead. The Bible calls me dead. I'm dead to God. If I'm dead to God, I'm dead to all reality, aren't I? I'm really dead. But Jesus comes, he dies, and by placing my faith in him, he makes me alive. So, this idea of glory, Jesus is going to reveal something about his, God's awesome power to bring back the very dead to life. Do we live in a way that adds social weight to God's reputation? Are we living like that? So, and, and the scripture says this, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. He was actually staying beyond the Jordan River, what we would call it in the, in the nation of Jordan today. And after two days, he finally says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, what are the, when he says those words, how do the disciples respond? Well, they respond with a great deal of fear. Fear is the first thing that we seem to go to, isn't it, in our brain? I don't know why, but we seem to. And it says, but his disciples objected, Rabbi which actually means teacher or great one in Hebrew. But teacher, only a few days ago, these people were trying to kill you. They were trying to stone you to death. Why do you want to go back there? Still have, they still have stones in their hand, I'm sure. Jesus replied, this reply seems to be out of place. And I'll see if you think the same thing. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours in of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. What? <laughs> Did anybody of you kind of say that? Whoa, doesn't it seem like out of place? Does it seem out of place? No? Seems in place? Seems great? How many people think it's out of place? How many people think... What's he talking about? Thank you, one person. Nice, everybody else does. So, <laughs> um, why does he say it? Why does he say that there's 12 hours of daylight? What's he meaning? What did he call himself? Do you guys remember what Jesus calls himself? Ah, the light of the world. Thank you, Gary. Good job. Um, yes, if Jesus is the light of the world, then let's put that in this context. There are 12 hours in the daylight of every day, right? During the day, people can walk safely, and they can see because they have Jesus. What's he saying to his disciples? Don't be fearful. I'm with you. You have safety because I am with you. The light of the world is with you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I will make sure that you're okay. But what else is he saying? But at night, ooh, those that aren't Christians. And he's also saying, there's going to come a time when I'm going to die and I'm not going to be with you. And the night is going to get very dark. Talk a little more about that in a second. Are you walking with Jesus in the light? Doesn't that take faith? You bet. But by faith, doing his work, pointing to him. Is that what you're doing? Is pointing to him? Or are you just thanking others for noticing how great you are? Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Usually, yeah, even in a public school setting, I usually say when they say, well, can you come to a meeting? And I'll say, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be there, God willing. Or if they say, hey, that was really good, I'll say, you know, I praise God that it worked out so well. 
Thank you, God. He's also talking to you today in this very statement. He wants you to know that you can rely on his protection and fulfilling his will in your life. Keep walking with him and help those that you see in the darkness. Back to the scripture. It says, Then he said, My friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, hey, that's fantastic. I know. When I'm sick, it's like sometimes you can't sleep, especially if it's like a stomach issue. You know, um, some people go, well, I'm just going to go, you know, toss their cookies um, so that they can feel better. No, 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 not me. I would rather suffer like six hours of pain huddled over a pillow before I toss my cookies. I'm not giving in. And I don't usually, and it will pass. And they're saying, and then when it passes, what happens? You get to sleep, and then you feel better when you wake up. It's fantastic. So the disciples are saying, hey, he's sleeping. That's great. That means he's on the road to recovery. I love the disciples. They're like we are. They don't get it. (laughs) It's okay. We don't get it either. They thought that Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus was dead. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Whoa. Whoa. Me, there are people in here that have lost loved ones. This is hard. Lazarus is dead. And for their sake, I wasn't there. Wow. Those of you that have gone through hard times, those of us that have lost loved ones that are close to us, um, you are the ones that will help others of us in our community to deal with death when it's their time. That's the beauty of, of our relationship together with God, is that as we have our relationship together with God, those of us that have lost loved ones can help us that are losing loved ones. And that they'll know how to react as Christians by watching you react as you're a Christian. The way you've reacted as a Christian, others are watching. God is teaching them how to react like you. So we're, those of you that have lost loved ones, we've watched you, and we're learning how to react as Christians as well. God bless you for it. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad that I wasn't there. Now you will really believe. You're really going to understand who I am. That's what he's saying to them. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, what does he say? (laughs) I love these guys. Let's follow him and we'll go and die with Jesus because they're out to kill him. They're going to kill him and they're going to kill us. But we're going to stand right there with you, Jesus. Well, what, three days later from this, they're all running away? When Jesus is, is taken, Jesus is arrested, where are these guys that are fearlessly going to say, we're going to die with you? Where are they? They're running for their lives. One guy gets grabbed by, the, by his tunic. He sheds the tunic and he runs off naked. And that's how desperate these guys are to get away from that. But for the time, just like us, we are so much like them. We have that mountaintop experience. Yes, Jesus will die with you. But I'm asking, can't we just live for Jesus? Wouldn't that be nice? Let's all live for Jesus this week in our jobs, in our homes. 
and what we do. When we drive out the parking lot, if we aren't very good at that, let's drive out today like Jesus would want us to drive out. Let's live for him. Back to the scripture. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. That's dead, dead. That's not just dead. That's really dead. And you're going, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, the, the Jewish people believe that the soul literally hovered around the dead body for three days. But on the fourth day, it left. So to the Jewish people, that's dead, dead, right? Soul's not even there any longer. Soul's nowhere near the body. Of course, we as Christians don't believe that, but we'll get into that later. So anyway, uh, Bethany was only a few uh, miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She is so right. If he was there, he wouldn't wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Do you think she's asking for resurrection? I don't think so at all. I wish I could say that. Not after studying this passage, I don't really think that she means that at all. I'm not sure what she means by that, but she just seems to say it. Sisters are interesting. Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She bolts out the door. Down the road, what do you think she's thinking? I think she's going... I'm going to get some answers from Jesus. Don't you? Don't you think that's what she's looking for, is answers? Maybe Jesus can make sense out of this. This doesn't make sense. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We were with Jesus. We, we love Jesus. We're joyful. We're able to fellowship with him. He's given us, we believe that he's the Messiah. And if the king were there, this wouldn't have happened. Finding Jesus, Martha expressed deep sadness when she said, if only you had been. But her expression is is tempered with faith when she says, I know God will do whatever you ask him which shows her submission to Jesus. But did it occur to her that Jesus could raise the dead? I don't think so. Let's read on. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. She says what? She, she says, he will rise when everyone else rises on judgment day, on the last day. So she does believe in the resurrection. She just believes it's going to be in judgment day. And I, if I were her, would I have believed that Jesus was going to raise my brother from the dead? Really? Do we really believe that Jesus is going to do a miracle for me? Really? Do we ever think that way? Honestly? We kind of hope, kind of like the lottery almost. We hope that we're going to win, but we really don't think we are. And I don't think that, that, and I'm not saying that as a guilt trip for you. No, no, no. Not at all. Um, I'm just saying that I don't think we think that these things are going to happen to us. That's all I'm saying. So she says, yeah, he'll raise again on the last day. <laughs> this is the best thing in, the, in Scripture. The next verse. Jesus told her, I am. 
he could have stopped there. Because every Jewish person knew when, when Jesus said, I am, he was claiming to be God. The God that met Moses on Mount Sinai and the earth shook at his presence. That's him. That's the guy that Martha's talking to. The one who can do anything. As a physics guy, you would say there's no way to condense um, material. Elements will always remain, right? Those of you that are physics, right, Michael? Physics, doesn't, isn't all elements always remain in some form or another? Even if we burn it, it still kind of remains as like carbon, and you can't get rid of them, right? Elements are elements. Jesus can remove those elements. He can make the, everything disappear. Things can, he, he can make all things non-existent, all, even elements. This is the one, <laughs> this is the one who literally walks and the earth trembles. But he goes on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Why do I love that? Because when you have hard times in your life, you, this is what you've got to remember. You don't serve just any old, you don't serve God, any old God. No, 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 no. You serve a great God. Not only is he great, but our words in any language at any time in history cannot hold the meaning of who he is. Our words are incapable of holding the meaning of who he is. Our language, the totality of a language is huge. It cannot even comprehend and hold and explain who he is. It's beyond language. He is beyond words. He is the one that walks on the earth and makes it tremble. He's the one that could walk on water. He can walk through water. He can part water. He could make water just stack up into a nice little neat droplets that go from here to eternity. He can do anything he wants. He is the one that Martha is talking to. And he says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she said. I always believed that you were the Messiah. Do you see? She's going back. This doesn't fit in her brain. This is not going to fit. There's no file up there for resurre- resurrection now. That, that, that's, that's beyond what she has. There's no file. There's no way for her to ha- process that one. So she says, yes, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She is saying, I know you are the creator. You're the one that we've been expecting. But apparently this satisfies her, um, her anguish. In her grief, Jesus has answered her grief. And she goes back to her house. She called Mary aside when she got home. And she said to Mary, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. Jesus wants to see you. Jesus wants to see you. Mary responds differently than Martha. She doesn't seem to be looking for any intellectual um, answers. It says, So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people were... Pardon me, who were in the house consoling Mary, saw her leave the, so hastily, they uh, assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, what did she do? She fell at his feet. Lord, she says the same thing, if only you had been here. You can hear the anguish, can't you? Doesn't that say it all? That says it. 
if only you'd been here, and falls at his feet. She's not looking for any intellectual reasons. She's grief-stricken. If only you were here, my brother would not have died. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't intellectualize. What does he do? He weeps with her. He enters the whole emotionalness of that. He knows what he's about to do in a few minutes. It's only a few minutes. and He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But yet he takes the time to enter emotionally with his people. He's not a God that we can explain very easily. We can't explain him. But he enters the, her emotional. He enters her, with her in the emotion of the moment. Jesus is not intimidated, let me tell you. He is not intimidated by your words. He is not intimidated by your emotions. Even when you're angry and you tell him you hate him, he's not intimidated by that. I I was talking to someone just a few weeks ago who said, I committed the unpardonable sin. I looked at him and I said, what are you, dead? (laughs) And he looked at me like, I'm sure I offended God. I called him a bunch of names. I said, you think he's, in, he's intimidated by you? <laughs> he's not intimidated by any of us. He's willing to hear those words. He hears them, and he understands exactly what you're saying. Because God, unlike any, anyone else, he understands the, and I love this, the full context of your words. He knows exactly what you mean. He knows your emotions, and he knows exactly what you're saying. So don't worry. No, no. You didn't intimidate him. But I would say this, just as as one Christian to another. If you have said words like that, I would just repent of them for the disrespectfulness. But I, I know that he knows what it's about. And I don't think he's bothered by that. So, he knows what, what, what is really in our heart. Jesus saw her weeping. He saw the other people weeping with her. And a deep anger wells up within him. How many people are troubled by that? concept. He was mad. Jesus was angry. Why is he angry? Some people think, well, maybe he's just angry with Mary and Martha. No. No, he's not angry with them. Matter of fact, I'm not sure he's angry at any of the people at all at this point. He might be angry at the, he he might be angry at some of the lack of faith. Yes, Maybe not really anger, maybe disappointment would be a better word for us in our day. He might be disappointed with that. But he's angry at the fact that he's the creator, right? He created the whole world. How did he create it? Just yell out one word. He created it all good, right? He used his word to create all things, and out of that were... He brought everything in, made everything, and then he made, and he said it is good. He made everything good. So why is he mad? He's mad because it's not supposed to be like this. This is not how it's supposed to be. Sin has entered the world and has destroyed his good creation. That's what angers him. That's... If you want to, if you want to know, there's two things that probably anger God is would be the lack of faith. He's not crazy about that. He's disappointed. He understands it. He's disappointed, but he's angry that sin has wrecked his good creation. People are not supposed to die. Quite frankly, we were made for fellowship with Him. Things are not supposed to be this way. 
That's what he's angry about. So anyway, he's very angry, and it said that he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? So he focuses Mary on the question, where have you put your brother? And out of these words, it says, they told him, but man, this sounds so much like Mary. Lord, come and see. Doesn't that sound like her? That sounds just like Mary's words when we've heard her in other parts. Come and see. But some said, whoa, isn't this the guy that healed the blind? Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Yes, he could have. He could have kept Lazarus from dying. He could keep a lot of things from happening uh, to us. But why doesn't he do that? He does it for the glory of God. That's why he does it. And he does it for our sakes, even though it doesn't seem like it at the time. When I go through hard times, it's not easy. It doesn't seem like it's for me. And, and, and you know what? Quite frankly, it might not be for you. It could be for your family member. It could be for your friend. It could be for <laughs> a lot of different people. People at work, people in your life, people in your family. And it could also be for strengthening your relationship, making you more like Christ. Um, Erwin Lutzer, uh, a pastor of Moody Church, he says that Christ puts us in the kiln, you know, to heat up uh, like pottery or to... Um, uh, he wants to melt us down so that only the pure remains. He melts us down so that the pure remains. And the pure that remains is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. That's what God's trying to do in our lives is bring us Christ-likeness. Um, so, He could have kept him from dying. He could keep things from us, but he's making us into be more like his son. Um, and this is where we can help each other. Being a part of a community of Christ, we can help each other with um, growing in Christ and helping each other to live this Christian life out. So Jesus is now going to where Lazarus is um, buried. Jesus is still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside. He always, even though Jesus is the one doing the miracle here, what does he do? He calls his people, he calls people to do what? To do their part. Roll away the stone. We have to do our part for him to do his part. So as Christians, we need to do our part. But Martha, I love Martha, she says, well, he's been dead for four days. We open that up, and this is not going to be good. Any of us that had any kind of like a dead rabbit or even like a dead rat in a house know even a small Rats can smell really, really a lot. <laughs> it can smell super bad. What do you think a dead body would be like after four days in a desert climate? Yeah. Not good. I could tell you a story about my friend uh, that work uh, who does that. He and his brother go around and collect. They get calls from the sheriff's department and they go out and collect like dead bodies for the county, but I'm going to spare you from that, okay? You guys can thank me later. Um, but anyway, Jesus responds and he says, uh, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Do you think it's about their belief? Do you think that really makes a difference here? Their belief? I don't think so. I think that God is going to show himself. So they rolled the stone aside, and when Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and this is kind of an interesting prayer because you need to understand he's doing this on part uh, not only to, uh, laze, uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he's also doing it for the people that are there. He wants them to know what is going on here. He's trying to put a context into this. So he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. And I'm saying this out loud for the sake of 
all these people standing here so that they can believe you sent me. I want them to know that you have approved. This is your seal of approval of who I am. This is you telling the world, you're revealing to the world who is standing in front of you, who this Jesus is. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Some people have said that it was good that Jesus said Lazarus. Because if Jesus says dead rise, that could be a lot of people coming from the dead. That's the kind of power God has. So he's got to be very specific. Lazarus, come out. Otherwise, there'd be a whole lot of dead people coming out. And one day that will happen. Why does he do this? He does it for God's glory. He's revealing, he's putting weight on that scale, showing who God is. Unwrap him and let him go, Jesus says. Do you think that Martha and Mary are fearful at this point? Do you think there's any fear in their minds? Do you think fear can live in that kind of environment? Can fear live there? No. No, it can't. Here's an action point for us as people. When we share the gospel to those around us and we live out the gospel in our lives and we use words that point to the gospel and reflects the gospel, we're giving those, us, we're giving those around us the opportunity to see a glimpse almost like a pinhole through a paper that you're holding up to the sun. You're giving them a view of the glory of God and what God can do and that he can bring light. You're giving them hope. What do they... I'm just going to give you some three quick stories, well, four quick stories here, and I want you to think kind of quickly with me. And I'm sorry that I'm going um, slightly long. But it's, uh, my question is, what do they have in common? There's a Roman officer in, in John 4 who begs Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who is about to die. And he says, Lord, come, please come now before my little boy dies. Jesus answered, will you never believe in me unless you see miracles and signs and wonders? And Jesus tells him, Go, your son will be healed. The man believes Jesus, and he goes back home, and his son lived. Luke 7, a widow's son is dead. This is a burial procession that they're walking out the village. They get outside the gate. Jesus happens to be there. They, he kind of stops the procession. The boy's literally in the coffin, And Jesus says, get up. And I love this. (laughs) You can tell it's a boy. He sits up and starts talking. (laughs) That's what boys do, don't they? (laughs) He sits up and he starts talking. And what does it say? It says, great fear swept the crowd. That's fearful. This is not a God that you can control. This is not a God that does what we want him to do. And then in Luke 8, it said Jairus is the leader um, of the local congregation, falls at Jesus' feet, begging him to come to, to heal his 12-year-old daughter who is dying. A messenger, as when they're on their way, Jesus goes with them, they're on their way to his house, and a messenger comes and stops and says, don't bother the teacher, your daughter's dead. And Jesus goes anyway. He goes to her house, and he goes inside. He raises her. He says to the crowd as he's walking by, it's okay, she's only asleep. They laugh at him because they all know that she's dead, but he raises her from the dead. 
What happened to Jairus and his family? Do you think that fear can live there? Can fear live, live there now that the, that the daughter is alive? No, there's no fear. And then the last one is Luke 7. This highly valued Roman, uh, this slave of the Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus coming into the area, he sent the Jewish elders. He didn't go himself. He just sent these Jewish elders to go and see him and say, hey, listen, this Roman guy, he's helping us out. He helped us build a synagogue. He's really kind to the Jewish people. You know, he has some credentials. He's got, come on, he's doing good things for us. Can't you do something good for him? So Jesus went with them to go to his house to heal this officer's, um, uh, uh, pardon me, slave. Sorry. Some, some friends come and they say, um, Lord, don't trouble yourself with coming to my house. I'm not worthy of having you in my house. I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet with you. Just say the word, and where you are, my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to the crowd, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Who has the faith here? It's interesting that the Jewish people that were there always wanted Jesus to be present. Always come to be present. If you're here, you can heal. If you're somewhere else, you can't. The Roman officer is like, listen, no, no. You've got authority. <laughs> Jesus has authority. And he can heal no matter where he is. Yes, and he can. Here's my final thoughts. And I hope action points for us. Jesus... If only you had been here, could we, we could easily fill something out that would say, I wouldn't have had this happen. If only you were here. Jesus is great. He did say he is. He said, I am. I am God. Anyone who believes in me will live in the light and see me bring glory to God. When we work alongside Jesus, he allows us to see the glory of God. So look for opportunities to to share the gospel with those around us. Work alongside him. Watch him work. You will have an amazing time if you do. Things aren't the way Jesus created them to be in the beginning. Expect things to go bad poorly. Expect unfair things to happen. Expect to be made fun of. Um, But place your faith in him and rest assured, he will do what is right and what is good through it. Faith and trust. This is God's great treasure. Us placing our faith in him. And if you do have the why questions, he will answer those in the future when you see him. Your faith is God's greatest treasure. Jesus called his, the people to roll aside the stone. He calls us to roll away things. He's calling us to roll away stones for other people in our lives. And those stones we can bring the gospel in to them, into the darkness. And when we work alongside him, we get to see him working. And that will be something that we will get to share. And I put this one at the bottom. (laughs) I thought it was kind of funny. Jesus calls us to do some pretty smelly jobs. (laughs) But let's do it because he asks us to do it. Faith. Faith is the greatest treasure that we can give the Lord. And it's his greatest treasure um, in his economy. Let's pray as the worship team comes back up. Dear Lord, we are thankful that you are faithful. Help us to be faithful to you. 
We want to walk in the light. We want to be about your work. We want to give you glory. We want to be walking with you. How can we do that, Lord? Lead us this week to walk with you. Maybe you'll have an appointment for us. I'm sure you will. Help us to see that those appointments. Help us to share you the good things that you've brought in our lives. Help us to share those good things with others, just in conversation, so that other people might want to have those blessings from you as well. We love you. We're glad that you are such a great God. And we pray for your honor, your glory, and your praise as we go. And may we encourage each other, love each other, and we thank you for your love for us.